Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Happy Epiphany to everybody this Wednesday, January the 26th. We gather around the inspired and true word of God and see Christ whose kingdom has come, whose kingdom continues, and the kingdom is coming. That we see clearly from Matthew chapter 12, where we hear just unique language as he speaks about the good fruit versus the bad fruit. And he speaks about Jonah, which is really a, a fun reality for us because, you know, we have VeggieTales nowadays, and so many people know the story in general. But it also is something it connects to Jesus. For I remember the first time I remember hearing that and going, my goodness, it does. And what a joy that is, and it will be a, such a comfort for us today. And also just a few other things, mothers, brothers, unclean spirit, all of this coming together where we will point back to our Lord Jesus. For as we read his word today, the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is generously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to give, uh, giving us, excuse me, God's strong word, we welcome back Pastor Timothy Sims of St. John Lutheran Church in Chester, Illinois. Pastor Sims, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for having me. Good to be with you. Pastor, last time we had you on was in August, and August um, to January is a little bit different in Illinois, especially here in Minnesota. So give us an update, you, your family, and the work of the saints at St. John. Well, believe it or not, it may be closer to Minnesota than you think now because it was about nine degrees uh, when <laughs> oh, no. we uh, woke up this morning. But it's just a little cold spell. That's the thing. That's the difference. You and I spent time in Milwaukee, mm -hmm. and you're from Minnesota. Um, the thing about down here is we have some cold days, but we just don't have five months worth of them. There you go. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll take some cold days every now and again, but everything's going fine. Uh, for the saints at St. John, uh, we boy, you gotta love the Epiphany season. You uh, you come out of that Advent and Christmas, which everybody loves, and if I may say so, it was just so evident uh, this past Advent and Christmas season that people were just so ready to get back to observing Advent and celebrating Christmas in a more, shall we say, normal mm -hmm. <laughs> way sure. than we had the year before, and. Uh, People just came back, and it was beautiful. And uh, and then, of course, uh, school. Boy, our our principal and our teachers and everybody involved are just uh, busting their rear ends to just make sure that in-person learning happens, and it has been. And there have been challenges with that, but we're very grateful that they continue uh, to sacrifice to make that happen. And uh, so we're just plugging away and glad to be in the epiphany season where uh, so much is revealed. To us about who Jesus is. And I think chapters 11 and 12 really capture this. I mean, all of our guests that we've had on for chapters 11 and 12, well, for all of Matthew, but really I've noticed it in 11 and 12, we are able to see who Jesus is, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the greater David. He is prophet, priest, and king is another language that we clearly <laughs> throw out throughout our time. And here we really get to see the source of everything begins in Christ for our text. So, Pastor, as there's so much to unravel today, can you begin our time in prayer? I would love to. Thank you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, 
uh, we thank you that you revealed Jesus to the Magi and continue to do so uh, for us, especially in your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Today we ask that you would humble our hearts and speak to us through your word, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we may believe and trust in Jesus Christ. In his holy name, amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions for our text or any part of Matthew, really, um, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. As we are slowly going through Matthew, we will be going through Matthew all the way till Easter, which will be in uh, middle of April, April 17th, I believe. And that just shows us that we are trying to take our time through this text. Many of us have read Matthew because if you are one who wanted to read the New Testament, you don't start in John, you don't start in Revelation typically, you start in Matthew. So you get through Matthew maybe and you plow through. Here's our opportunity to slow down as we talk about Epiphany, revealing who Jesus is, and we see it verse by verse, and we'll see that today. But we're starting in verse 33, and everything is done in a context. And 33, I think, is in a very unique context of the chapter. And Pastor, how do you want to start us off on the right foot today? Well, uh, I would like to touch on a few things. One, I, I always like to, no matter where I'm starting in, in a study, I like to consider the various themes and, and aspects of, of the various books. And I think some things that are going to be helpful for us in this section today are some things uh, that are themes and aspects of Matthew's gospel as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. Uh, one being simply that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Uh, Matthew makes a great point to point that out at times. Um, I also love the way and appreciate, and I think it'll come into play in a very big way here today, Matthew seems inspired to show the readers that the gospel story of Jesus is a continuation of God's salvation story as it began in the Old Testament. You mentioned Jonah, and we'll get to that here uh, in a few minutes. I think that'll really come into play here. And then, of course, also the theme that in the arrival of Jesus, the reign or kingdom of God has come. And as I love, I've noticed with all of your... um, podcast that you're doing on past shows, uh, there's a little subheading, Unbelievable Mercy to Unbelievable Sinners. And that really, what we see in the Gospel of Matthew is that is what the kingdom and reign of God in Jesus is really all about. Uh, As we're into these sections, I think we'll also talk about specific things that have immediately preceded it. Uh, Jesus reigns in the spirit of God, certainly not in the spirit of Beelzebul, as you talked about uh, yesterday. Uh, and people will either reject and blaspheme against the spirit in Jesus and are condemned, or they'll believe and confess the truth uh, and be saved. And that will play very closely in what it means to be a tree that bears good fruit. And as you say that, Pastor, it's it's a uh, it's really interesting to me because we look at good fruit and bad fruit, and this is going to be key. And I have to put this as a precursor to everything we do. I am not a gardener. Pastor Sims, on the other <laughs> hand, is. So during his time in Milwaukee, he had this little garden the size of my foot, really. And he was able to um, create the greatest garden of all time in a small area that I've ever seen. So. Just so you know, 
If I say something about these next part of the text, I don't have any clue what I'm talking about when it comes to plants. But Pastor Sims <laughs> does. So let's continue on. Let's dig into the text. Are you ready to dig in, Pastor? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. So we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Pastor, these words are very striking because it brings up something we can understand, good fruit, bad fruit. And then he starts speaking about how we speak. And and we, I mean, how many of us can ever get to the Eighth Commandment and not feel condemned and need forgiveness? So these words can be very, very difficult to understand. How do you want to begin? Wow, yeah, well, certainly. Um, although, uh, let's get there, but let's start at the source. You know, this isn't the only place that Jesus is going to make it abundantly clear, to use a similar word to what he uses here, that... Uh, really, the mouth is just an extension of our heart, mm. and our hearts are by nature evil. They're not good. Um, we uh, are told by our culture and maybe even utter similar words ourselves rather frequently, follow your heart. Um, when if you're really paying attention to Jesus, one thing you'll learn is that you should never follow your heart, <laughs> yeah. uh, except except what this is talking about is the fruit that comes uh, of faith. And if your heart is uh, changed, renewed, brought by the Holy Spirit and the good news of Jesus to believe, then your heart, because of that, not because of me or you, is then capable of producing the fruit that is the words that we speak. Okay. And uh, so then we're asking that question, I guess, is what is good fruit? Okay. This is confrontational um, because it's a really a call for repentance. And I think in answering the question, what exactly is good fruit, looking at the way Jesus is using that here, good fruit is repentance and faith. And especially looking at the context in which this is all occurring and the things that have happened ahead of this. Um, these two things are intimately tied together. Um, and they'll also impact what it is we say most specifically about Jesus. So this isn't just about never saying a bad word. This is really more about what our lips proclaim about Jesus. Mm. But that comes through repentance and faith. And, and they definitely do go together. I mean, we could ask the question, could one repent of sins, but, but also not believe in Jesus. Well, I think someone could, but the problem is it doesn't necessarily do any good. Have you ever seen the movie devil? Of course. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, it's, a it's a very interesting movie. I'll try to be brief with it, but you know, these people are stuck in the elevator 
and one of them's the devil. And then periodically the lights go out and, and somebody dies and, uh, and they're all scared. Uh, and they're all, uh, in touch with things that they've done that have been bad, but then they get down to two people and one of them's the devil and the other one's the only real person left. And at the last second, this guy falls to his knees and just verbalizes how sorry he is for the things that he's done. Mm-hmm. And the devil is just crushed because the devil is forced to withdraw. Can't actually bring harm on the person. Now, I think the movie, interestingly enough, gets it half right. Yeah. Half, <laughs> yeah, half right is a good answer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, repentance that brings us to trust in Jesus does save, and the devil must withdraw. But what I think that movie got wrong was that without a belief and confession in Jesus, all that sorrow over your sin really is is just despair. And the devil really has you exactly where he wants you. And it doesn't help you at all. But if you are humbled to the point that you realize you need a Savior and Jesus is it, then that is the actions of repentance and faith working together. So could someone be repentant and not believe in Jesus? Yes. Can you believe in Jesus and not be repentant? That, I think the answer most certainly is no. The converse isn't true. So without repentance, there can be no true faith. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you ready? I, I, is it about a movie? Hopefully, because I can handle no, that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Go for and it. I, listen, I, I think probably 99% of even pastors may not know the answer to this question. Okay. I only do because I, I did my homework ahead of time because I knew I was going to talk about it. <laughs> what is the first of Luther's 95 theses? <laughs> uh, the life of the Christian is the life of repentance. Okay, very good. You're awesome. Hey, okay. I, don't, yeah. ask, don't ask me any more of them, but I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, his first. Well, most of us know about the ninety-five theses, but if we're asked what are the ninety-five theses, we couldn't name a single one. But I think it is telling that Luther says, as his first thesis, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, "Repent," he willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance. And you see, that's one of the biggest problems that the scribes and Pharisees are having throughout this exchange with Jesus. They're not repentant. They don't think they need to repent. And for that and many other reasons, they're not really going to buy into what Jesus has to offer. But repentance is so important because uh, this is... uh, Repentance leads to faith in Jesus, knowing that he's the one who comes to forgive and show mercy. And this is the fruit which leads to open, faithful confession thereof. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about it's the Holy Spirit that brings us to confess Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, similar thing. And this faithful confession is the good treasure. And it can be proclaimed as a witness only by those whose hearts have been changed by the power of word and spirit, which brings repentance and faith in Jesus. So I think this reference to speaking and words, certainly as Christians, um, we should not want to have foul mouths. We shouldn't have dirty things coming from our mouth. We shouldn't be 
saying bad things about other people, but I think specifically here it's more of a reference to what is it we say about Jesus? Because if you go backwards a little bit, there was the section about the blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. What is it we say about Jesus? And these people do not want to confess who Jesus truly is, uh, and there will be condemnation because of that. One of the situations that I want to break this down, exactly what you're saying, that you're, you're breaking this down so beautifully, just to, just to try to put, um, put it into context. Verse 35, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. So, he, I mean, Jesus kind of goes back and forth with some interesting argumentation. But here, in the context of what you're saying, a good person is one that has good treasure. And what is good treasure? Repentance and faith um, uh, in the Lord Jesus as the source of everything that is good, our salvation, our forgiveness, um, our life is in Christ. So a good person is the one who has repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Is that is that a, a good way of looking at that verse? Yeah, we're made good only by being repentant and, and, and trusting in Jesus. Right. Because we're not really good ourselves at all. We're, we're by repenting and trusting in the one who truly is good, we have good treasure. Absolutely. And so there, that brings us to the words, for by words you'll be justified, which brings you, like you mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Our words are, you know, in many ways, not even our own words, because, the whole, you know, God gives us these words that we confess. Um, by, by that we'll be saved, our confession of Christ. And uh, sure. by your words, you be condemned when you deny the Holy Spirit, which means you deny Christ, as we hear in 12, verse 31, that would be condemned by those words when we do not confess faith, in, well, repentance and faith in Christ. I mean, it sounds so simple, but are, are we on the right track? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. so. And, you know, one could probably say, well, wait a second, but why would words be so important? Because we're told that everybody's going to confess Jesus at some point. Yeah, right, right. You know, uh, Philippians 2, beginning at verse 10, right? At the very end, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That's true. And that's simply because it, on the last day, no one will be able to deny it anymore. But that confession is only a saving one if repentance and faith were already in place. Um, so it, it, whether we're talking about these Pharisees or we're talking about ourselves or people we love, you know, sometimes we'll use phrases like, hey, it's never too late to repent. Right. Um, well, it actually could be at some point. I think a better phrase for us to consider would be it's never too early to repent. Yeah. Don't put it off. <laughs> right. let, let that spirit move you by the word of Christ uh, to sorrow over your sin and look to Jesus and then rejoice. And, uh, and then we're, and then at that point we're able to confess, yes, it is this Jesus who died and rose for me. And in him, I have forgiveness and eternal life. And, uh, that is truly the best treasure I could ever share with anybody. And we do it with our lips. So one of the comforts I have with this too, pastor, is that this has nothing to do with my ability to grow a garden. So this is good news. <laughs> This is good news to me. Uh, by the way, I, I know your garden, like I said, the size of my foot that you were able to grow all these big things. What's it like in uh, Southern Illinois? Are you able to have a big garden there? Well, first of all, I want to share with you that people need to understand they can't see either one of us. 
but uh, you have a really big foot. So, yeah. <laughs> Especially compared to me. Oh, so, yeah. shoot. Hell, um, shoot. Yeah, my, my godson, uh, how old is he now? He, he, is, uh, he is 13. 13, he's probably a lot bigger than I am. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. No, but that's one of the neat things about being here. We do have a decent-sized garden. Uh, I would say at least twice the size of the one that we had uh, uh, in Milwaukee there. Okay, so, well, two yeah. feet. We have two feet of the Sims Garden there. <laughs> two <laughs> Brady Spinner feet. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah. very good. Pastor, anything else on verses 33 through 37 you want to highlight? Uh, well, I think... Uh, I think we've talked about, there's probably more we could talk about, but uh, let's go ahead and move on from there and see how this plays into the next section. You know what? I'm going to take one step back and highlight something that I found interesting is in sure. verse 34. I just missed this in my notes. Verse 34, he says, you brood of vipers. And I Have we heard that before? We've heard this before. When did we hear this before, <laughs> Pastor? When did we hear that? Uh, John the Baptist. <laughs> and, and who was he speaking to at that time? I believe he was speaking to pretty much the same group of people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people who do not want, who are not willing to repent when John called them to, and they're not willing to repent when Jesus calls them to, and they didn't really believe in John for who he was, and at this point anyway, they're not believing in Jesus for who he is either. Something that's really interesting is that on Monday, I had Pastor Dan Galshoot, I think one of our... uh, colleagues that we both know, uh, had him yeah. on um, with, 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 with Matthew chapter 12, the beginning of chapter 12, and there it quoted Hosea chapter 6, um, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, mm-hmm. which is something that was previously quoted in 9 verse 13 in Matthew. And he's specifically speaking once again um, to the Pharisees as they're questioning, you know, why are they pulling grain, you know, a grain, the head of grain on the Sabbath? This isn't right. Matthew 9, he quotes Hosea chapter 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, to the same people, basically. And he says, learn this. Okay. So we see this theme mm-hmm. throughout the book of Matthew that Jesus is really good at repeating himself. And he's really good <laughs> because ultimately, and this is what we do in the church as well, is he's calling them out and saying, listen, you didn't learn it. I'm going to say it again. And here he does that once again, where he says, you brood of vipers, when they're by the Jordan River calling repentance, contrition, faith um, in the Lord Jesus, because this king is coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This king is coming. He's coming for you, not for the sake of disaster, but for the sake of peace and rest. And this is something we do in the church over and over and over again. We preach the law. We preach the gospel. Why is that so important that we remember that as Jesus repeated himself, it's okay for us as Christians to repeat ourselves as well. What are your thoughts, Pastor? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, uh, and I think that's something that I think, I'll just go and say this, whether you're talking about sermons or you're talking about uh type of worship or what's in worship. I think variety is overrated. I think we need to hear things over and over again. I know I do, um, you know, and, uh, and certainly uh, being reminded of our sin and being called to repentance is important. And also being reminded of Christ's unbelievable mercy and what it means for us that our sins are forgiven as we look to him 
uh, is something we need to hear over and over and over again. Now, it, there may be differences because of the different texts that are involved every week, but that really is the main thematic message of the scriptures overall. And so it's going to repeat itself. And guess what? Like you mentioned, whether it's Jesus or the scriptures overall, it's not, that's not accidental. It's, it needs to be repeated because we uh, so easily become hardened in our hearts. We need to have that uh, given to us, whether we're despairing because of our sin, and we need to be reminded that Jesus is merciful and we have his forgiveness, or if we're being obstinate, obstinate in our sin and we're refusing to repent, we need to hear it then too. So it's something we constantly need to hear over and over and over again. So what you're telling me is, I don't need to have a variety to when I tell my bride, I love you. Like, I don't need to come up with a new and fancy way of saying it. I hope so, because I haven't done that to this point. Um, is that what you're saying? <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Try try saying it in French next week. Oh, she yeah. Might not well, even have, she might not have a clue what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, well, Pastor, now we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 12 with Pastor Timothy Sims, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew 12 with Pastor Timothy Sims of St. John Lutheran Church and School in Chester, Illinois. Pastor, we've gotten through the, the part of good and bad fruit. And obviously, good fruit is with Christ. Bad fruit is without Christ. And then we come to this next section, which brings us to Jonah. So um, this is, uh, you know, you don't have to have watched VeggieTales in order to understand this part of the scripture. Um, but Jonah is a very, I feel like it really encompasses everything when you just read the book again, and especially in context of Matthew 12 and going back, it really sinks in beautifully. So let's read it 38 um, through 42, and we'll come back and, and get your thoughts to begin. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment and with his generation and condemn it. For they re repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with his generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear of the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Pastor, I think we could probably spend the rest of our day speaking about this text. It is so full of references and the richness of the gospel. So, Pastor, how do you want to begin? Well, 
Well, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, I think the first thing is to maybe consider what in the world is this request for a sign? Mm. Um, uh, culturally and religiously, uh, what they seem to be asking for, uh, as they would have understood it, at least as scholars seem to talk about it, is that they're looking for something to validate a claim that he's made. Okay. Uh, and in this way, it's going all the way back to where he was casting out demons and that sort of thing. Uh, and they're, they're claiming he's doing it through the devil and he's claiming that he's doing it through the spirit of God, which is a pretty big difference between those two, uh, things. So they're wanting a sign to kind of prove that. Okay. And, uh, so they're questioning that. And then he brings up as a sign, two things that have actually happened in the past but they're also tied to something that's going to happen uh, in the future. Mm. And so he goes to uh, first uh, this sign of Jonah. Okay. And in, in the sign of Jonah, we of course, he makes reference to uh, the three days. All right. He refers to an old Testament story and, and when we know about the story of Jonah and how Jonah was in the belly of the beast in the ocean uh, for three days and then spewed, spewed out very much alive uh, on the shore. Uh, and then, of course, we know later that Jesus is going to die and rise. We have the, uh, the benefit of hindsight, of course, knowing how the story goes. They don't know that yet. But a sign is supposed to be something that if something happens, they can look back and say, ah, that validates who he said he was. So maybe some of these people will look back later and say, hey, remember when he made reference to the sign of Jonah? Uh, maybe others won't. Okay. Uh, but hopefully, and we know there were some Pharisees who did uh, join the early church, uh, especially in the book of Acts. Uh, maybe that was uh, a key part of it, even for those who were uh, skeptical and not wanting to uh, believe at the time. Okay. Um, but there's more to it than just a reference to his resurrection. What happens in the story of Jonah and Nineveh? It's one of the most remarkable stories of mercy and God's mercy in all of the old Testament. Uh, Jonah basically goes to a people that are the enemies of God and his people they're horrible, sinful boogers, and, and uh, Jonah doesn't even care about them, frankly. He just wants to avoid them. Uh, but he declares the Lord's message to bring them to repentance. And that's exactly what happens. They repent in sackcloth and ashes, and the Lord spares them. And so that's involved here, uh, too, because... Uh, when he makes reference to the people of Nineveh or the men of Nineveh uh, standing in judgments against those Pharisees on the last day, we're getting back to what we talked about earlier. Repentance and faith go hand in hand. And that's exactly what happened with Nineveh. So the great sign, of course, is Jesus dying and rising. But there's also reference here in the very words of Jesus about how they, back then in Nineveh, seemed to get it and repented 
and you don't, and you need to. And so that's a huge, huge part of this. Jesus is actually in the flesh, incarnational, manifesting that very story for all sinners, not just the people of Nineveh. And he has come to be the ultimate Jonah, if you will, who's going to save all people from their sins, no matter how great they are, by virtue of them being brought to repentance and faith in him, no matter how bad what they've done is, in repentance and faith, they will be standing at the judgment with Jesus, saved and uh, for, for eternity, just like Jesus rose and never died again. That's very, how you say it, there's a lot of times we take a story like Jonah and you see the connection made here and you stop when there's even more to be revealed. Like for me, typically I look at this and then you hear, okay, Jonah was in the whale or the, the big fish for three days. He was resurrected out. Jesus in the grave for three days, resurrected out. Uh, Jesus is a greater Jonah. End of story. Clean your hands. Move on. But what you've captured for us, and just to make sure I'm hearing you correctly, because I really like it if this is what I'm hearing, is uh, that that not only that, but he is he's calling them to repentance. He's pointing to himself, saying, I'm the source of your good fruit. As the people of Nineveh needed to repent, so do you, because I am your source of rest. And, 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 and so he's calling them to repentance, but not repentance and kind of like sackcloth and ashes and saying, okay, now you have to go over there for seven days on your own. No, when you <laughs> repent, I'm the one right here giving you rest, fulfilling everything, giving you Sabbath, giving you forgiveness and giving you new life. Am I on the right track? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. If, if God used a fallible prophet, and I think that's a good, good, good way to call him. Jonah's a fallible prophet. He doesn't even want to do his job. And even when he finally does, what he really wants is to see the fireworks show. He wants to see all those Ninevites destroyed. Right. And he's upset when they're not. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's kind of the, almost the antithesis of who Jesus is now standing right before you, Pharisees and scribes, is the one who actually has come to bring God's ultimate mercy. And if you simply trust in him, you will have all God's mercy all his life, all his salvation. He also says in this time where he says something greater than Jonah is here. And then he speaks about Solomon. Something greater than Solomon is here. Previous Mm -hmm. to this, something greater than the temple is here. For the Mm -hmm. Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, he is taking the Old Testament and just connecting the dots in a beautiful way. What do you you make of that? Well, not only for those who are there, but for the Pharisees, the Old Testament scriptures would have been huge. And the Old Testament heritage, uh, the history of God's people would have been huge. For the Matthew readers, all of these things would have been huge, because we believe the the main audience that Matthew writes to are either Jews who are now believing in Jesus or people who were maybe not of Jewish bloodline, but who valued the Old Testament scriptures. And he's just making it abundantly clear through what he's inspired to write that, hey, you Pharisees, hey, you scribes, you value uh, what God has given in Torah and what God has given in the prophets uh, and the heritage that is God's people. 
Well, then look to Jesus, because guess what? He's fulfilling all of them to perfection, and it's right in front of your face, and you're missing it. And I would even say that there's a the reference here that you talked about with Solomon and the Queen of the South. Uh, you mentioned a bunch of things that are all connected here. There's one thing that I think is connected as well, and that is this is going all the way back again to the section that begins in 22, when the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Because that's a messianic title. Sure. Well, now as he goes to... Uh, Solomon here, uh, for the scribes and Pharisees, Solomon would naturally come to mind as the son of David mm-hmm. and the greatest king that the people ever had. And Jesus is making it clear that the long-anticipated son of David and the reign of God that comes with him has arrived in him, and it's a lot greater than Solomon ever was. I do want to take one step back. Mm-hmm. Once again, look at verse 42. And, and this is a part where I, I, I think I have a tendency to uh, skip over this because I didn't quite understand it at first. 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Who is this queen of the south? Did you find anything on that in the judgment and seeking wisdom and so forth? Well, the queen of the south... Uh, is believed to be a reference to Queen Sheba, who came to visit uh, Solomon. That was back in 1 Kings uh, 10, but uh, also considered to be a reference to people who are not of God's people and who were, uh, you know, against even God's people being brought to the glory and salvation of God. And in a very small prophetic way when it was Solomon, but in an ultimate way when it's Jesus. And this is, I mean, as as the Queen of Sheba went to go hear Solomon, guess what? We have someone better for you to hear. Right? Right. Yeah. And and think of that. The the Pharisees are just kinda happen to be around where Jesus is. Uh, the Queen of the South came all the way <laughs> from her kingdom in Arabia, Southern Arabia, where that would have been probably about a several month journey. Uh, here I am right here in front of you. You didn't even have to travel, you know, and uh, just think she went all that way to see Solomon and to be awed by his wisdom. Here I am. And this is the wisdom that actually gives you salvation. Well, I think I'm going to have to go back to First Kings and uh, rush up again. We'll have to have Walter Meyer, uh, Dr. Walter Meyer, on again and repent because I uh, I didn't remember that part as well as I should have. So here we go, moving forward, <laughs> verse 43. <laughs> There's a lot there, like you said, you know. <laughs> There's a lot that we're looking at. So today, 43 through 45, we continue. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... It passes through the waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house and from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation." 
Now, I'm, I'm going to say this side note, that just imagine if you read verse 43 through 45, that's all you read, and at the end you said, this is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> or praise to you, O Christ. Yeah. Can you yeah, imagine yeah, that's yeah. all we read? Yeah. Well, it's in the gospels. I don't know if it's gospel, right. though. Let's be honest here. What's happening here? Return of the unclean spirit. What do you have? Well, th- this is uh, this is really interesting. So we were just talking about connections to uh, Queen Solomon and Sheba. There's even one here still. Because this next, uh, this section, you just talk about, if you just read it, uh, on its own, it has one thing going on. On the other hand, if you read it within the context, it just seems to be so random. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it almost seems to be unrelated to the things that had proceeded immediately before it, especially he just got done talking about King Solomon and Sheba. And now he's jumping into evil spirits. Uh, however, for those who were there at the time, it might have not have been so out of place or unrelated um, uh, there's some really good notes and some materials that I have on, on this text, uh, that talk about, uh, Josephus. He's a first century Jewish historian. He records that Solomon was believed to have the power to exercise demons, uh, in, in, in such a way that they would never return. So in Jesus time, in a cultural religious point of view, Solomon was the exorcist. Now, if you wanted a guy who was really going to get rid of demons by the Spirit of God, well, that would be Solomon. Uh, But they're certainly not seeing Jesus that way, are they? So I think this actually uh, serves as a bookend to the earlier point in verses 22 to 32 about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and the fact that Jesus has been casting out demons. So what's the point? Uh, Well, listen. Your house is only going to be kept clean by casting out those unclean spirits with the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit brings you to repentance and faith in Jesus. So he's, he's definitely taking the, the, mo- the current of those days, the current kind of view of if you do this, you do this, you do this, you'd be made clean. Right. Um, you know, you'll be you'll be bearing good fruit, if you will. Um, but here's saying you're not going to get there. So anyway, there is by the Holy Spirit. So first of all, Matthew, you know, right before our text was at uh, twelve uh, uh, thirty-one. Don't deny the Holy Spirit, but also know that this is the source by which good fruit comes, by which you will be made clean. Is that what we're kind of leading to? I'm I'm trying to make sure I understand this. Yeah, I mean. Uh, they're, they're rejecting Jesus and yet they're still holding up. They'll just do this with different figures in different places. Other places they'll hold up Abraham, other places they'll hold up Moses, but they don't want to hold up Jesus. Right. Well, here they seem to be holding up Solomon. Gotcha. And now they didn't say anything about it, but we know Jesus knows hearts and minds and they've been critical of him casting out demons. And yet the, the normal religious point of view was, well, Solomon, man, he was the guy who could really, who was really used by God uh, to the point that we should really look to Solomon. No, don't look to Solomon. Look to me. Something greater than Solomon is here. <laughs> right. Greater than David, greater than the temple, yes. greater than Jonah, and greater than All Solomon. All those figures and everything they ever did point to one 
saving, messianic, God-in-the-flesh figure, Jesus Christ. So let me ask, well, I'll take another step back, just because this is going so well, and, and really digging deep. When he says to them, teacher, we wish to see a sign. How much of a tendency is that for us in our culture today? And why, why is it important for us to recognize that that's what we do as human beings and, and also the danger in that? What would you say? Oh, yeah, because I think, you know, it would be a really good answer for us saying making that same request now would be Jesus giving us the very same answer he gave them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, listen, you have it right here in the scriptures. I was crucified. I took your sins upon myself. And I died. And I was buried. And then I rose from the dead, never to die again. That is the sign that you need if you're ever wondering, mm, God, does, does God love me? Well, look to his cross. And as Jesus is hanging there, suffering and dying, that's how much he loves you. Uh, do you need a sign when someone you love dearly dies and you're thinking, wow, do people really uh, rest in heaven and then are actually going to be raised from the dead never to die again just because they believe in Jesus someday? Boy, if I just had a sign. <laughs> well, you do, because it happened to Jesus, and it's recorded in the scriptures, and it's this word by the power of the Holy Spirit that brings us to believe and trust. And so we still have these things. Matter of fact, you could argue that we have these things hidden more now than they were in the time of Jesus walking around doing miracles. Mm. On the other hand, we also have the gift of the Holy Spirit now, which is ultimately the only thing that can move our stubborn hearts to see Jesus Christ crucified and risen as the sign that gives us hope, comfort, and peace and the promise of salvation. And that's where it leads us to this next part of, okay, I need a sign. (laughs) And And it's interesting, isn't it, how we will, it's kind of like if you lose your glasses, and someone says, hey, I say, hey, I lost my glasses. And the whole time the glasses were on top of your head because you just moved them. You know? <laughs> right. So like, yeah. I need a sign. I don't have a sign. Like, well, the sign's right there. And that's clearly what the cross is. And I think that relates to our last few verses that we'll be reading today. Um, it's just kind of this, this is truly, it's right in front of us. This is reality. And, and what a blessing it is for them and also for us. Verses 46 through 50. While Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my brother, my mother, and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he, I mean, now kind of get practical, kind of a simple story in the midst of this. He's been teaching, he's been teaching. Now it's just kind of this unique story about that really leaves us a little bit like, well, wait a second here. Are you denying your family? How does this all fit? So how would you uh, (laughs) speak about this as he speaks about the family as a child of God and part of Jesus's family? Boy, you know, and I really enjoyed uh, a few days ago you had, uh, Pastor Parvitz yeah, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. on and uh, some of the real struggles that some people 
you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that I've, I, that I can empathize with those struggles because I was born and raised in a pretty faithful Lutheran family. And that's pretty much how it's continued, uh, through my life, but that's not true for everybody. Mm. There's some people who have some real struggles, uh, with where being part of God's family really causes problems, uh, with your nuclear biological uh, family. And so it, it can be shocking to us. It would have been even more shocking because of the importance of familiar relationships uh, back in the time of Jesus. It would have even been more shocking to those who were there to hear this originally and those who read it originally. Uh, but uh, one thing uh, we can certainly rest uh, assured of, and, and Pastor Parvitz kind of talked about this, uh, Jesus is not revoking God's created order of family. What he is doing is making it subordinate to relationship of family uh, with God and his people uh, in Christ. And, uh, and so uh, no matter what we're going through, we also have a holy family in that uh, we are part of the church. And so no matter what kind of trials and struggles, and certainly people who there who were being moved to believe, because so many weren't, we're going to have some of these challenges, and yet Jesus uh, is assuring them, uh, you are part of God's family, you are in my family. Uh, and, of course, the key words he says there is, by doing the will of my Father. Now, lest we venture off into works righteousness, what does it mean to do the will of my Father? Well, that simply means to go where we were talking about at the very beginning. Repent and believe in Jesus and follow him. And that is what it means to do the will of his father. And in that we are part of a family in heaven and on earth uh, that will live forever. Praise be to God. And so as we see that, um, there's, there's, a, there's a few parts to this that is, is just fascinating to me. Is First of all, what would his mother and his brothers, I mean, because we, exactly what you're saying is all true. And what I, I'd like to reflect on a little bit is, how would Mother Mary see this? You know, how, how, <laughs> how did his brothers see this? You know, were they, were they real excited that, that here he is saying this like, well, wait a second here. I, I'm the one who is, are your mother. What's going on here? Um, and, and I don't know if that relates to today, but like you said, Pastor Parviz did a great job of presenting the reality that if you are Jewish and, and for, I would say more and more in different, you know, different families that if you are a believer in Christ, that instantly takes you out of the family. So why is it important for us to remember, um, of the emotions and the feelings that have happened in this? Why is it important that we are part of God's family and how that all fits? Well, um, it, Jesus, even in other parts, will talk about how the members of our own family uh, will be at odds with us simply by being uh, in Christ. Uh, and that certainly uh, can be true. But if you look at the all-encompassing aspects of what Jesus teaches and who he is, you've got everything from uh, his baptism, where he is declared uh, the son in whom uh, the heavenly father is well pleased. He then teaches his disciples to pray as no one ever has. That's got that. And that is there to pray to God as 
their father. And what will come out later, of course, throughout the rest of the New Testament, even Paul talking about baptism as adoption, it truly is a familial thing. So no matter what happens with your earthly family, you always have the family of God uh, and the promises that come with it. Uh, Jesus uh, will not abandon you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. And no matter what happens uh, in those other areas, you are still part of the family of God in continued repentance and faith. Good question, too, regarding what Mayor and the other members of the family might have thought. I don't honestly know. You know, we we do know that he has uh, a brother who is part of the early church later. We do know that Mary seems to be very welcoming of some of the other women who even are of questionable background, it seems, mm. Uh, mm. throughout Jesus' ministry and, and the book of Acts following. Uh, and certainly— she apparently was receptive to Jesus assigning John to be the one who would take care of her. So, yeah, it's, I guess it's hard to know exactly what was going through their head. It certainly might be a strange thing for us to consider, but uh, hard to know, I guess. I guess it's one of those, as I say in confirmation class, a big WDK. We don't know. So, um, we'll <laughs> and leave if we it needed that. to know, God probably would have revealed it. He would have so. revealed it to yeah. us, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor, with about a minute and a half in our time, these words are so important for us to be able to uh, to 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 live out our Christian vocations. So, how would you encourage our listeners, um, for all who are listening, uh, about these words and what they mean for us today? All that we've read and studied today. Well. Simply continue in humble repentance and faith in Christ. Uh, Continue to look to him because he is truly the only source uh, of our salvation. Uh, Your house will be kept swept clean and evil, unclean spirits do not have power over us in Christ. Uh, He truly has come to fulfill everything that is prophesied not only by the prophecies, but also in the stories of the Old Testament. Jesus is it. And so we can find great comfort and hope and peace in trusting in and looking to him. And as we do that, the Lord will give us the strength and the courage to also declare who he is with our lips to our friends and our neighbors. Pastor Timothy Sims from St. John Lutheran Church and School in Chester, Illinois, strengthening us with God's word from Matthew chapter 12. Pastor Sims, thank you again for being our guest. Thank you, brother. It's been a privilege. Saints of our Lord, keep growing in Christ. Right now, we have the assurance that something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than David is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. And something greater than Solomon is here. And Pastor Sim said it so beautifully throughout our time. And that person is Jesus. Rest in him. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And in him we bear good fruit. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us. And the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.